The purpose of this activity is to expand the reach of chest content through awareness, critique, and discussion. All articles have undergone peer review for methodological rigor and audience relevance. Any views asserted are those of the speakers and are not endorsed by chest. Listeners should be aware that speakers' opinions may vary and are advised to read the full corresponding journal articles for complete context. This content should not be used as a basis for medical advice or treatment, nor should it substitute the judgment used by clinicians in the practice of evidence-based medicine. Well, hello, and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Gretchen Winter. On behalf of Chess, I would like to welcome you to this Chest Journal Podcast. I am Dr. Gretchen Winter, and I am your Chest Podcast Moderator. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be an interesting discussion on whether it is ethically appropriate for physicians to offer to pray with patients in the intensive care unit. We are very fortunate to have Dr. Benjamin Frush and Dr. Rob Poole as our guests. Dr. Frush and his colleague wrote the yes side to this point counterpoint. Dr. Frush is a fourth-year resident in internal medicine and pediatrics at Vanderbilt University, where he will serve as chief resident next year before applying for a fellowship in palliative care. He also holds a master's degree in Christian studies from Duke Divinity School, where he participated in the Theology, Medicine, and Culture Fellowship. And Dr. Poole wrote the counterpoint on this topic. Dr. Poole is a professor of social psychiatry at Bangor University in North Wales and is a co-director of the Center for Mental Health and Society, as well as working as a clinician in hospital liaison psychiatry in Wrexham. He is published as the first author of three books and has extensive experience in national policy and senior roles within the National Health Service and the Royal College of Psychiatrists. Thanks very much for having me to speak. Yes, thanks for having me. It's a delight to be here. Well, we are thrilled to talk with both of you. So let's go ahead and get started. Dr. Frush, you assert that the controversy over the appropriateness of physicians praying with patients stems from an underlying disagreement about the nature of medicine. Can you please discuss that some? Uh, Yes, thank you. Um, So ultimately what Dr. Curlin and I argue and believe to be true is that the question of the appropriateness of offering to pray with patients taps into a broader discussion of the nature of medicine itself, um, as you referenced. So traditionally, medicine has been understood as a constitutively moral practice um, grounded in the fiduciary nature of the patient-physician relationship. And it's the, the vulnerability of the patient that demands um, a, a commitment on the part of the physician to the patient in a relationship that has traditionally been described as covenantal. So this is also where Dr. Curlin and I referenced the notion of a moral friendship between patient and physician. Now, within this traditional view, the patient and physician collectively strive towards the good of the patient's health rather than any alternative goods or goals which might compete with or detract from the patient's health. Um, this contrasts with an increasingly prevalent view of medicine today as a, as a provider of services model, um, as we name it, 
And in this view of medicine, we use the language of patient consumers interfacing with clinician providers within a relationship that has transactional and technocratic undertones. Uh, physicians are understood in this model as, as wielders of technological interventions or services, an understanding which anonymizes both patient and physician as the physician is construed more of as a technician than a moral partner. So how does this brief overview of these two understandings of medicine lead to different approaches to offering prayer with patients? Uh, in brief, the, the provider of services model understands prayer as a technical intervention best offered by non-clinicians like chaplains, since clinicians are reduced to their technical role. The traditional view makes space for the understanding of prayer as a genuine moral gesture, not a technical intervention that is in principle reasonable to engage in. Uh, in, in a similar vein, the, the provider of services model deems prayer an inappropriate infringement of the personal into the professional realm, since physicians' professional identity is understood in primarily technical terms. Again, the traditional view of medicine makes space for the offering of prayer, since it recognizes that physicians as moral agents do not cease to become religious beings when they don their white coats any more than patients as moral agents cease to become religious when they don their hospital gowns. Now, as Professor Poole argues well, Certainly prayer can be done poorly, but this traditional view of medicine understands the offering prayer as something that is reasonable and even good in some circumstances. Now, Dr. Poole, in your rebuttal, you argue that this moral friendship that Dr. Frush discusses can be a harmful way to view the patient-physician relationship. Why is that? Well, I think it's predicated on a false dichotomy, that there are these two ways of, of understanding um, therapeutic relationships, one a moral friendship and one this kind of commodified um, service provider. And, and I, I don't accept that. I think that it's, it's, that there are actually quite a number of different models. The, the problem with this kind of traditional view of the doctor is it's paternalistic. It's um, defined by doctors rather than patients and it, it one of the reasons why one of the reasons why we've moved away from that kind of model of um therapeutic relationships is it proved um problematic from the point of view of a range of abuses um quite quite a, a lot of difficulties um around boundaries and around um the ability of physicians to put the patient's interest first, because sometimes um, they physicians are not good at this distinguishing between their own best interests and their patient's best interests. And Dr. Poole, you also argue that the offer of prayer from a physician is not intrinsically benign and can actually cause harm. Can you discuss that? Yeah, so I think the, um, the the setting we're talking about is is the intensive care unit, where um, patients are critically ill. Thirty um, percent uh, of, of ICU patients have delirium. Um, they're very very vulnerable and almost by definition at, at, at risk of imminent death. Um, and there's, there's a number of layers of, of, of problem. Um, with, with, with the offer to prayer. The, the, the first is that um, uh, because people are likely to be cognitively impaired, um, the offer to prayer is open to, to uh, misinterpretation. 
it's something that for many patients will be outside of their, their, their understanding of, of, of a therapeutic intervention. There's a real risk, I mean, a real risk, that people see the offer to prayer uh, as a sign that um, their situation is becoming hopeless and that, that people are falling back upon non-medical uh, means to, 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 to restore them to health. Um, and prayer has got a kind of... Um, it's got layers of meaning, um, which many of which include issues of of power. It's not include. It's not intrinsically benign. Praying with someone really rests upon having shared a shared understanding and shared beliefs, which are hard to test when the patient is critically ill um, and is pr- very prone to misinterpretation either at the time or later. Finally. Uh, we know that um, ICU care is associated with high levels of psychiatric morbidity um, uh, when people recover. Um, and I would argue that um, the inclusion of activity that might be distressing to some patients and easily misunderstood um, really increases the risk of, of, of an adverse psychological reaction. Now, Dr. Frush, you argue in your rebuttal that any communication done poorly can potentially be harmful, but it's not a reason to avoid communicating, nor should it inhibit the offer of prayer. Can you please elaborate on that? Yeah, I want to start by just, um, you know, agreeing with Dr. Poole um, and thinking about the fraught nature of of patient-physician relationship and certainly, you know, attending to the power differential at play and how um, our words, our actions can um, cause harm, including psychological harm is is something that's really important to consider. So I, I'm on the same page there. Um, And I I do agree um, with, with Dr. Poole that prayer can be done poorly and in fact can cause harm in some circumstances, um, particularly because it, it opens up a a spiritually vulnerable space. Um, but, but what I would say uh, in, in response to um, to this critique is that there's essentially no form of potential communication between patient and physician that that I view as intrinsically benign. Um, it, it, my medical training has been brief, but and what I've seen so far, um, it's it, the the patient physician relationship and the communication this entails is is just fraught with vulnerability and this potential for harm um, in, in the way that we interact with patients. Um, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to believe that a physician who potentially offends a patient in prayer causes more harm or distress than a physician who callously breaks bad news about a terminal condition um, or one who makes a culturally insensitive remark. Um, prayer, like any other practice in medicine, ought always to be undertaken thoughtfully and, um, uh, you know, the virtue of practical reason should, should guide when and how physicians might engage in it. Um, but I don't believe its potential for harm should um, disqualify it as a, as a reasonable option in some instances. And I certainly um, agree with Dr. Poole that um, being sensitive and thoughtful about the psychiatric comorbidities um, of critical illness um, particularly for patients who might suffer from delirium or um, positions for whom um, 
religious language might sort of elicit negative reactions. All that is, is very important to take into account um, to try to mitigate um, these, these potential negative effects. But I don't think it um, rules prayer as sort of categorically out of bounds um, uh, in these patients. Now, Dr. Poole, you also discuss how Dr. Fresh's argument for physicians offering prayer could actually show a lack of respect for diversity. Can you please explain that argument? Okay. So um, I think the first thing to say is that the doctor-patient relationship, as I think I mentioned earlier, and as Dr. Fresh has, has also alluded to, there's this there's this power differential between physicians and patients, especially when they're extremely vulnerable. So 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 one does have to pay pay attention to power dynamics. But religion also has got a power um, aspect. Um, most religions have experienced persecution at the hands of other religions religions or by people who aren't religious, um, and there are major differences even between. Christian denominations in their attitudes to things like homosexuality, some being tolerant and some being far from tolerant. Um, so the, in a diverse world, the offer of, of religion is received in many, many different ways by different people. Um, and um, the, the kind of ecumenical assumption that there's something that we all share around prayer is 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 that is, is, doesn't pay it take account of the diversity we have in our society in the uk up around half the population say they have no religion although quite a lot of those say that they are spiritual so it's kind of almost like a a, a less formal type of, of of religion um and in the us the corresponding figure is about it's about uh, 25% of the population. So there's a lot of people who don't, who don't identify as, as religious. And for some of those, um, the, the offer of pa- prayer is, will, will be taken to be disrespectful. But there are interesting issues about Christian doctors offering to pray with Muslim patients, for example, um, or uh, Presbyterian um, doctors um, offering to pray with pray with Catholic patients. There is a power issue here, which is really quite difficult. And I think to to feel that that isn't the case um, would would reflect a lack of self awareness. I think, Dr. Fresh, how do you respond to that? Um, again, I think I think Dr. Poole raises some important questions here, um, especially when we think about the interfaith aspect of prayer or potentially um, broaching prayer for patients who don't consider themselves religious. Um, I will say um, that, and it, it's possible that um, I, I still think in principle, it's a reasonable thing for physicians to offer prayer wherever they are. I also think that um, there are probably um, cultural dif- differences and sort of patient demographics and sort of religious characteristics, depending on where you are. You know, I practice in the Southeast where there's probably um, uh, a higher proportion of folks who identify um, as, as religious than um, the sort of background that Dr. Poole described. Uh, ne- never. 
Um, nevertheless, um, I think the specific question here about the offer to prayer is, is important to consider. Um, you know, we, and what Dr. Curlin and I argue, you know, we respect the authority of a patient to refuse and, and don't argue that unilaterally engaging in prayer is an appropriate practice. Um, we believe that, you know, offering the, the option um, to patients actually accords them respect um, by believing that they, um, you know, have the authority to, to choose things they might deem um, appropriate and inappropriate. And I, I certainly um, am appreciative of Dr. Poole's um, discussion of the power differential at play. Um, I, um, I guess, in my practice, um, and I know that this is sort of invoking anecdotal experience, um, I, I haven't experienced a time, nor have I seen when, when folks have offered to pray with patients, that uh, people have been outright offended at, at even the suggestion of that. I, I do agree that um, just engaging in prayer without sort of um, asking um, the, the patient how they might feel about this or the family um, would be inappropriate practice. But um, I think it's, I think it's reasonable um, even if there are interfaith differences um, to, to allow patients or their families um, the, the option, if it's something that seems um, fitting in a given circumstance. And Dr. Poole, you also point out that physicians have a field of expertise, but that an offer of prayer falls outside their expertise and should be left to those with the appropriate training. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, I certainly accept that when people are ill and in extremists, um, for many people, religion is an important so source of comfort and, and support. And I would not in any way suggest that pe when people are critically ill, they should be um, denied that, that, that support. But it is clear to me that we have, we have chaplains um, and, and we have chaplains who have training um, to deal with these specific circumstances of, of people with a variety of faiths uh, who find themselves uh, seriously unwell. Um, doctors, on the other hand, they, they, they have beliefs, of course, and they may well have a faith, but they're not particularly experts in the, in, in the range of, um, if you like, spiritual crises that might occur in people who are critically ill. Um, and that we, we shouldn't assume that physicians are the right people to do everything. Um, physicians have got quite a, um, a, a range of, of expertise, Right, the, right across the biopsychosocial um, domains, but um, but prayer isn't one of them, um, and I have no training in in prayer. Um, what I know about religion is is actually arisen from my own interest. Um, I grew up without a religion um, in a completely atheistic family, um, and I've always found it very helpful to work with chaplains and with priests. And I think that's the appropriate way of doing things. And I think there are many things that might be helpful to patients that can be offered by appropriately trained people, but I see no reason why I should do them. And Dr. Fresh, how do you respond to the assertion that prayer lies outside a physician's area of expertise? 
Yeah, again, I um, appreciate Dr. Poole's um, critique here and especially um, wanting to avoid harm or physicians potentially practicing sort of outside of their scope. My main response is I I believe this view um, mischaracterizes the nature of of prayer. Um, Every major Abrahamic, and as far as I understand most, most Eastern religions, um, I'm aware of understand, understand prayer as, as a moral practice of communing with God. Um, it, it's decidedly not a technique or intervention undertaken for efficacy um, or outcomes. Um, and at least in the Abrahamic traditions, the notion of like an expert prayer is um, somewhat oxymoronic um, as it's often those whom the world might view as least qualified, who seem to commune, commune with God most profoundly at times. Um, now, this isn't to say that um, there aren't ways to broach these conversations that are um, more and less um, respectful or attentive to the needs of particular patients. And um, I, I certainly think um, we need to be thoughtful um, about that as clinicians. Um, but as long as, as this is done in a respectful way, I, I'm hard pressed to believe that there are genuinely better and worse ways of, of praying. Um, that's not to denigrate the critical role that chaplains play in medicine. It's, it's only to say, I don't believe the offering of prayer should be confined to that realm. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily believe that, um, um, because a physician doesn't practice multiple religions or can't sort of um, attend to multiple multiple religious traditions, that that should um, disqualify them from from um, from offering to pray with patients. Um, perhaps in, in a way that that a chaplain is trained to sort of um, converse in, in kind of a multilingual um, spiritual sense. Um, yep. So, Dr. Pooley and Dr. Fresh, as we finish up this discussion, can you each please give our listeners a closing thought on what you want them to take away from this discussion? Dr. Poole? Um, uh, there's two main points that I think we, I'd like to emphasize. One is um, that... The model of moral friendship that Dr. Frush proposes um, brings the personal very strongly into the clinical setting. But we know that there are major pitfalls around, around breaching boundaries, around many boundaries, financial boundaries, boundaries of relationship, um, sexual boundaries, uh, and that blurring those boundaries carry real hazards for patients. And I would suggest that when it comes to matters of personal conviction, um, there are real hazards there as well. The second point that I would make in conclusion is to say that for some people, critically ill, engaging in prayer with a physician and the the prayer goes unanswered, um, and, and, and they, they don't get um, a recovery from their illness. This, this can really be very harmful to people, and we know that there's issues within many religion, religions about, about questions of unanswered prayer. Now, I think that's quite complicated, and it's quite a complicated thing for physicians to take on, and I think we are 
moving into an arena that is beyond our competence when we try and do that kind of stuff. And Dr. Fresh. Uh, yeah, the, the first thing I'd like to say is I'm just appreciative of the opportunity to discuss this um, and engage this question with Dr. Poole. I feel like, especially when we press upon questions of religion and bodily health and illness, um, all too often we can kind of silo off and uh, avoid uh, discussing with people we disagree with. So first, first and foremost, I'm just grateful for the opportunity for um, a civil conversation on this matter. Um, I, I, in closing, I, I would, um, I would say that I, I disagree with the idea that because um, prayers may go unanswered, um, again, that is um, a reason to to engage in offering prayer to patients. Again, I, I don't think the purpose of praying with patients is to um, uh, hope for or try to negotiate with God or to whomever one is praying a, a certain outcome. Um, I, I really believe prayer um, is uh, a, a religious practice of communing with God. And in this sense, I know there's a lot of concern about power differential and coercion um, but prayer fundamentally is, is humans um, seeking to commune with God. And in this sense, um, I think it can have a certain leveling function where patients and physicians um, can sort of be seen on, on equal footing as those who recognize um, their uh, inability to um, take control and um, enact certain outcomes. And so I think it can actually be, um, in a, in a beautiful way, kind of egalitarian uh, in nature. And the other thing that I would say is, again, most of this research um, that I'm familiar with has been done in the United States, but, um, several, um, several studies, some of which we mentioned, I believe in the rebuttal have shown that, uh, many patients actually, um, desire their clinicians and providers to engage religious concern and even to engage in practices like prayer with them. So I think, um, while there certainly are important um, arguments, um, uh, you know, in in opposition to prayer, and certainly important critiques and how we do it, um, I I, um, I think it is um, noteworthy that that many patients, at least in the United States, again, um, uh, do do desire some engagement with the religious aspect of their illness, and not always just from chaplains. So. Um, again, I'm, I'm grateful for this opportunity and for the opportunity to have learned from Dr. Poole and, and to have uh, engaged this uh, really difficult, but I think important question with you all. Well, a big thank you to both Dr. Fresh and Dr. Poole for a fascinating discussion and a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Gretchen Winter, and this is a chess podcast. Until next time. <laughs>